get their stuff picked up. And so um, as they're heading out, uh, a couple, couple things. First of all, I, I love that song so much. And as, as we were singing that, I, I realized so much of life is waiting. Any, any patient waiters out there? No, no. Ah, Billy, there you go. Says the guy who runs 100 miles. There must be something wrong with him, right? So, um, but no, I mean, I, I, just, I, I just started thinking about my own life and, and, and a lot of our lives. And I know as a pastor, I, you know, have walked a lot of miles with a lot of you. And, and, and waiting can be the hardest part because you want things, we want things to be fixed right now right? And, and in the process is when God meets us. He ministers to us. It's, it's angsty. We get upset. We get frustrated. We want God to do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, right? But, but that's the process of surrender. And that is the good news of Jesus is that he is a loving God. He loves you and we can trust him. And when things seem hard and impossible, just show up. Just show up and, and receive. And I love that because we, he is our glory. He is our, our everything, right? And, and the cool thing is, is that he loves us. He glories in loving us. And sometimes it's hard to see that, to recognize that. But if we can be a people that know that God loves us and that the most joyful thing we can do in our life, no matter what circumstances are going on, we can love him in return. Um, we are we are miles down the road and uh, pretty good stuff. Um, a couple things. Drew is up here praying for all the campers and all the leaders and everything like that. But we need to pray for Drew and our leaders as well, because, and and their and their families, right? Because Drew's going to be gone a lot over the next couple weeks, and and you know Allie's just going to be partying back here by herself. You know, like <laughs> like her and the girls are just going to be living the high life, right? You know. And uh, yeah, so we, let's pray for Allie and the girls and, and for the other leaders and their families as well. And, and I, know it's, I know it's hard, um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where it's fun to be a church family and just uh, loving on each other and pouring into each other. And just thank you so much for all the adults who are stepping up and uh, you're making a difference. And it's really fun to, to be part of that. The cool thing is, is that this is just the tip of the iceberg of what God is doing in and through the greenhouse. I love Sunday mornings. It's so much fun. But if you, if you think about, we're just the little part that you see on Sunday morning, but there's this other, there's this, all these other things that are going on throughout the week. And I just wanted to give two shout outs this morning um, because it's, 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 I've been meaning to do this for a long time. But uh, uh, Ryan, show your hat there a little bit. So, so this cool hat right here, it says, Awaiting Autumn. Okay, that's, that's, that's so cool, right? Coffee mug, right? No, they're actually a really cool rock band that Ryan just happens to be in. So, so I don't know if you guys knew, but Ryan and his brothers are part of this, this really cool band. You can get on Awaiting Autumn, search it up. Uh, it's really cool. There's some good momentum going on there. They're dropping a new album um, this summer and uh, really, really fun stuff. We're going to have to maybe start playing some of it before and afterwards. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to give you guys a shout out. Be sure and check that out. Uh, and then there's this little, there's this little podcast that's known all around the world called the Holy Spirit Soapbox. And, uh, Dan and Stacy are, are the ones of that. I've been meaning to shout you guys out for a long time, but it's really, really cool. And, and Holy Spirit Soapbox, it's gotta be weird, right? 
It's got to be weird. I mean, that name, I mean, that's almost as weird as Greenhouse Community Church. Come on, what are you thinking, right? It is awesome. I have, I have listened to, I haven't listened to all of it yet because you guys have been doing it for, what, a year and a half? And every week, religiously, and it's good. It's really good, about 15 minutes-ish. And just the content, the other day I was asking uh, Dan, I was like, how do you do what you do? It's so good, you know, <laughs> and he was just laughing at me, and he goes, the Holy Spirit, maybe, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, there you go, but no, I really encourage you to check that out, um, it's just really fun, and, and it's really cool, like, they have uh, people that tune in all around the world, and uh, it's just, it's just really, really fun, so be sure and check those out, and uh, it's just really fun, you know, we always talk about Paul and the orchestra, and, and I know a lot of you are really involved in our communities, and, and just living out the mission of the good news of Jesus day in and day out at your jobs, at your play, ninja warrior playground, you know, like Ben's out there just spanking people in the name of Jesus, you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I can go around the room and there's so much, but that's what's so fun, guys, is it's, it's, there's so much going on day in and day out, and I just want to celebrate that and recognize that. So, all right, let's dive in here. Okay. So the year after I graduated college, Nicole and I got married. I had finished. I was youth ministry degree, Bible major degree, right? And my first job out of college was working construction. Because Nicole, I had married like an underclassman. She was an underclassman. She was just finishing up her junior year. She was going to wrap up her senior year. And so we were married, this little town in Hillsborough, Kansas. And we had our little, yes, Hillsborough, <laughs> home of Frank Wickert. So... So, um, and we had this, this little, this little love bungalow cottage that we rented for like, I don't know, what was that? 200 bucks a month. It was ridiculous. But when you're living off a $900 a month construction salary, that's all we could afford. But, um, she was finishing up schooling and I was working construction. It was a really cool little, uh, construction company. Um, but there was a problem with it though. Um, the boss's son had some struggles. And he, he just, he had a lot of troubles um, with DUIs, with getting into fights, and he was always in and out of jail. Um, and we would show up on Mondays, and it was kind of like, is he going to be there or not, right? But even, I don't know if it's even worse, but a part of that was that we were wondering what equipment was going to be there on Monday mornings. Because a lot of times, the dad who owned the company would have to sell off equipment and tools and vehicles to pay to bail his son out of prison. And so, like, seriously, we would show up on Monday morning. It was kind of like, where's the skid steer? Well, I guess we're hauling concrete by hand this week, right? And where's the truck? Where's the, where's the track hoe? Where's the jackhammer? Whatever. And, and it was frustrating. It was really, really frustrating. Now, I'd like to say, as a Bible major graduate, ministry major graduate, that I, I handled it in a very Christ-like way. I didn't. I didn't. I was so upset. I was frustrated. I was angry. Because I'd watch how he treated his dad, and, and just, it was disrespectful, it was dishonoring, and, and it was just frustrating. And so, so I, kind of my old sinful self, kind of crept in, and it was like high school and junior high all over again. I started bullying him. I started like slyly, subtly making things, you know, just the words I would say, the way I'd treat him, and things like that. Like, I'm really embarrassed and ashamed to admit that, guys, but it was. I was not Christ-like in any way. And I would just, any pot shot that I could take at him, I was like, yeah, you know, things like that. Um, well, the, the, 
the real issue was that he was inconveniencing me. Because on Monday morning, I didn't know, was, were we going to have, like, machines to do the work for us, or are we going to have to do it by hand, right? I didn't know if at the end of the week, if the check that we were going to get would be bounced because the dad had spent all the money on bailing his son out, right? So it was sort of like, I want my money. I want my, I want my life good, right? And so instead of focusing on the real issues that were going on, I focused on how it affected me. Now, over time, I realized the Holy Spirit finally got through my thick skull And I realized how out of line I was. And I needed to change my attitude and how I handled it. And so I started to try to look more, okay, why is he doing this stuff? And I started to get to know this story. This kid was was adopted. And he brought with him a lot of baggage from his birth family. And there was a lot of substance issues. He had issues in school growing up. And he he just had so much baggage with him. And, and so I, I started to, to grow much more compassion and understanding that he was simply acting out of the brokenness that he inherited. He wasn't trying to be a bad person. He was just acting out of what was normal for him. And instead of helping what God was trying to do in healing him, I stood in the way. I represented yet another Christian who was going to judge him and condemn him and make fun of him and treat him like crap. And I remember just being broken over that. And so I kind of one day after work, I just took him aside and I just said, hey, I am so sorry. I have not been treating you the way that you need to be treated, that, that you deserve. Like you might think you deserve to be treated this way, but, but Christ loves you and I have, been not, I have not been reflecting that to you. It was really embarrassing. It was really a hard conversation. And I wish I could say that, that we hugged it out and he was delivered and freed and, and he did a 180 turnaround and he, today he's a pastor somewhere in, 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 in Afghanistan, right? Like, but it, it didn't happen. <laughs> It didn't happen. He continued to struggle. But in that moment, I realized I did not want to stand in the way of how God wanted to bring healing in this man's life. Now, when you see people that are off the rails, when you see people that are doing self-destructive, other-destructive behavior, other people-destructive behavior, when when they're stuck in in sin and brokenness and just, just craziness, right? Is your natural response to judge, to condemn, to ridicule, or is it compassion, grace, mercy, and love? I'm probably not the only one who over the course of our lives have struggled with the first one. It's natural, right? I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe, and then we start to take it out on them, right? Well, last week we looked at how Jesus was, you know, in the previous weeks, Jesus is a king, he has a kingdom, and that kingdom, and that that kingship comes with authority. Last week we saw how Jesus' authority disrupts. Jesus comes into our lives and he disrupts the things that we try to build, right? It's it's like, that's cute, (laughs) you know, kind of back to the waiting song. Man, I'm building this, I'm working so hard, and then then God kind of comes in and just, oh, that's cute, you know but you're going to rely on me one way or another, right? And, and so we looked at how the authority of Jesus is disruptive. This week, we're going to see the other side of his authority. Jesus, last week we ended by Jesus boarding a boat, and he traveled from the good person, the religious 
uh, Jewish side to the Gentile side, the pagan side, the, the godless side of the lake, right? And he goes and he performs some pretty miraculous um, miracles over there. Now we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9 where he hops on the boat, the boat and he heads back to the good person religious territory. Um, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his hometown. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, kind of interesting, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now in ancient times, sickness and sin were connected. Like, they viewed that if you were sick or lame or diseased or something, someone must have done something wrong. Like, in other places in the Bible, it says, who sinned, right? Like, like you, you're, you're deaf, you're, you're mute, you're paralyzed, you're, you're sick, whatever. Like, who sinned? What, who did something wrong, right? And in their mind, things were, were, were connected with that. Now, in a sense, they were right. Because why are we sick? Sin. Sin came into the perfect creation and broke that creation. And so because of that, we have sickness. So in a sense, they were right. But Jesus, he, he sees the physical sickness, but he also sees the spiritual sickness. And so first off, he wants us to be healed, but he also wants us to be whole, right? He wants our sins to be forgiven. And so right out the gate, he says, man, you guys have faith. You surrender to me. You're coming to me. I forgive you. I forgive you. Um, no, this is great, right? Well, the leaders, the religious leaders in verse 3 have other thoughts about it. But some of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think he's God? Because only God has a right to forgive sins, right? I can forgive you, you can forgive me, but as far as like making us innocent of our sins, only God can forgive that, right? And in their system, you had to go through these rituals, through, through this building, you had to go through all these practices to make yourself clean so that you were worthy of the forgiveness of God. We had to earn the forgiveness of God, and only God could do that. So here comes Jesus and says, hey, thanks for coming to me. You're forgiven. That's blasphemous. That is absolute heresy. And so they are very, very upset about what's going on here, right? Only God's authority could forgive sin. Who does this Jesus guy think he is? So then in verse 4, Jesus knew what they were thinking. So actually the, the Greek word here, uh, a lot of translations say Jesus saw what they were thinking. Let's not skip over that. They were thinking to themselves, and Jesus literally like sees the thought bubble above their heads. That's really cool, and a bit scary. <laughs> because how many times in the New Testament does Jesus, in the Gospels, does Jesus actually know people's thoughts? Well, he's God. Of course he does, right? So he sees, he sees their thoughts. He sees what's going on in their hearts. And then he says, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Uh, who, he's talking about you. No, you, right? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that I'm the Son of Man, that, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
Now, what's interesting here is that I can say I forgive you, right? And, or you are forgiven. And we can say that, but does, do we see what actually happens in the spiritual realm with that? We don't see it, right? And so he kind of calls their bluff. They're trying to trip him up. And he says, well, which is harder to say I forgive you or get up and walk? So you know what he does? Two birds with one stone. <laughs> He's like, when in doubt, I'll just take out both of those, right? You're forgiven and you're healed. Get up, walk, and go home. That's awesome. Jesus removes any doubt as to his authority as God to be able to heal the sickness and forgive the sin. He has healing powers over both. Then verses nine, uh, 7 through 9. And the man jumped up and went home. Now, I don't know how this happened other than Jesus, because I, I spend more than 20 minutes in a car, and it takes me 10 minutes to stretch out after just sitting in a car, right? Uh, this guy has been paralyzed for who knows how long. He jumps up. He literally jumps off the mat and runs home. Just this beautiful thing. Fear swept through the crowd as they saw this happen, and they praised God for giving humans such authority. Their response is kind of like, yes, they were, a fear, they were afraid, but it was like a godly fear of kind of like, whoa, what did we just witness here, right? Um, and then in verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now, if you remember in previous weeks, we talked about tax collectors. They were pretty hated because they were Jewish people who had sold out to the occupying Roman forces, and they taxed and ripped off their own people for not only the occupying government, but also for their own selfish gain. Tax collectors were rich. They lived a very lavish lifestyle, but they were hated because they were crooked and they were traitors. Not a very likely disciple, but Jesus literally walks up to him and says, follow me follow me. And so Matthew, without thinking about it, well, he probably thought about it. Some people say they must have had previous conversations. They have this kind of familiarity with each other. But regardless, he gets up and he leaves his lucrative, crooked career. That is spectacular. It's incredible. Now, now note here, the paralyzed guy hops up, gets healed, and he says, go home. The tax collector gets up, gets, gets spiritually healed, and he says, follow me. Sometimes God says, go home. Other times God says, follow me. But regardless of where we're at, we are to live on mission as healed, transformed disciples of Christ. Now, again, look at what Matthew is leaving here, right? He has this lucrative career, probably has tons of money, and he gives it all up. Now, again, sometimes in, in the Bible, we see Jesus say, give it all up. And then other times he says, use it for me, right? We see both examples. The point is, what are we doing with God gives us? Um, but then Jesus goes even further into Matthew's life in verse 10. It says, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, right? Now, that's a very pregnant word because tax collectors were synonymous with traitors, murderers, thieves, robbers, prostitutes, and all sorts of other savory characters, right? Like, let's not skip over <laughs> the, the beautiful awkwardness of this. Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to his house to a party with his friends. Awkward. <laughs> There's two very awkward things about this, right? One, 
Matthew introduces his friends to his new savior, right? It's sort of like, yeah, there's, that's her, and that's him, and there you go, and, and ah, sorry, Jesus, but these are my friends, right? That's kind of awkward, but you know what's even more awkward is invite, in introducing Jesus to his friends. It's kind of like the old thing of, of, I'm a pastor, so I know it. It's kind of like, that, that movie was really, really fun. Let's watch the movie. Oh, wait, it looks different with a pastor in the room, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like you, you like have your parents like watch a movie. Yeah, this movie is awesome. Wait a minute. Don't, let's turn this off, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like, all of a sudden, you have, you have the pastor in the room. It's sort of like, everybody behave. Everybody behave, right? That's why I just like to go by Jason and not Pastor Day. I like to keep the pastor on the down low part, right? So, because people act differently, because supposedly pastors are different. No, I'm just like you, right? And, but Matthew opens up his real life. He doesn't filter his guest list to his party. He invites everybody. Because that's what happens when we follow Christ, is that we don't separate our life out into silos and only allow Jesus into certain ones and then secretly preserve other areas. It's a fully integrated life to where Jesus is a part of every area of our life. And, and that's just beautiful. I love how Matthew shows that he allows Jesus into every area of his life. And he's, he's called to be the same person wherever he's at and whoever he's with. And so we, we look at how both Jesus and Matthew put their reputations on the line for each other. And they risk losing friends, right? Like all of a sudden, Matthew, some of Matthew's Friends could have said, wow, that Jesus, he's really cool, but he, did, he, you know, he didn't get drunk like we did. He didn't you know, flirt with the prostitutes like all the other guys did. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Let's not bring him again next time. It's sort of like, well, it's Jesus or nothing, right? Like, I love the quote, Christianity isn't a popularity contest. Christianity isn't a popularity contest. It's showing what real Christ-like friendship looks like. Some people desire that. Sometimes people don't re realize it, that they're desiring it, but they really do desire it. And then other people, it's just too much, right? And so I love this fully integrated, like, Jesus, come into all of my life. Uh, verse 11. The Pharisees saw this. They were super excited because people were coming to the Lord and were giving their lives and experiencing the healing. Of, isn't that what your Bible says? No, mine either. Okay, there we go. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Jesus was being ridiculed by the powers that be because of who he chose to be with. The Pharisees couldn't handle it. They wanted this so-called Savior to be better than everybody else, to be above everybody else, to show us the perfect person, right? He was. He was. He was the perfect person who was clean and could make other people clean. Uh, and he could bring healing to those who were sick. And we're going to see that more in just a second here. He literally goes, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. This is a very popular saying in this day across cultures and religions. It's sort of like healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And so he's kind of appealing to their, hey, guys, common sense here. Right? Would a, doc, would, would, a, would a hospital say, oh, I'm sorry, you're sick, but we only treat healthy people here? Why be a hospital? What's, what's the good of being a doctor if you don't know what to do with sick people? I, you're sick. I can't. You're a doctor. Come on, bring healing, right? 
They couldn't handle that. And then he explains it even further. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. That's from uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He said, again, it goes back to what he did in an early chapter. I want your heart, not just your fake actions. Don't try to perform your way into my good graces. I want your heart. I want it to be surrendered to me. And the, the cool thing about that um, is it's like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It's sort of like we are saved by, by faith in Christ. And his work in his grace is what saves us, not anything that we do. We surrender to that. We are completely at his mercy, not our own achievements. He says, for I have come to call those who think they are righteous. And, uh, sorry, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so he calls their bluff. He says, you guys say you're righteous and you're not sinners, but look at the way you're treating people. Look at how you're obeying the law, but your hearts are far from me right? Like, and, and again, Jesus kind of knows, like, they want to kill him. They hate him. And he's kind of, he's kind of poking him in the chest a little bit there, right? He wants people to live out and to share mercy and grace and love, the same mercy, grace, and love that saves us. And the irony here is that the Pharisees thought that they were healthy and righteous, and Jesus exposes that they are actually sick and sinners, we have to face our sickness in order to get healthy. We have to face our sin in order to be set free. We can't avoid it. We can't deny it. We can't excuse it. And we can't defend it. Now, that doesn't fly in our culture very well. Because we live in a world that live your true authentic self and blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of like, I always say that if we were just to get more in touch with ourselves and live our true authentic, we're going to get more of what we already have. And look where that's getting us. Look at our world. We're, we're, we're in debt. We're, we're, we're in wars. We're, we're, we're being mean to each other. We're, we're, we're the most loving, spiteful people in the world, right? Like, we're the most accepting, exclusive people in the world. We're, we, I can go on and on and on, but our world is broken, and we are cannibalizing each other. We don't need more of what got us into this boat. We need freedom that comes from Christ. We need that love, that healing, that transformation that can only come from him. And next, this next section, we see the, the depths of what type of Jesus, um, his authority, the, the healing that his authority can give us in verses uh, 14 through 17. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we, like we do and the Pharisees do? Now, here's the thing with fasting. Fasting was used for mourning over sin. It was like, like, we need to repent. Like, we see our sins, so we're going to fast, we're going to repent, we're going to mourn because things are so bad, right? And, and so, so that's great. We, we need to do that. We need to fast. We need to mourn over and grieve over the brokenness of our sin. But Jesus replies, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and, they will, and then they will fast. Jesus says, hey, I'm the groom, you're the bride, I'm here. So don't be grieving and mourning and fasting during the wedding feast. Mourning, sorry, sorry, fasting is for mourning, feasting is for joy. And he says, I'm here with you. Don't miss me being here in the flesh with you. Don't miss out on that, right? And, and then he says in verse uh, 16, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? 
For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Verse 17, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Now, what's going on here is that in that day and time, they would literally have like goat skins. They would take goat skin and they would sew it into a pouch. They would put grape juice. They would squeeze the grapes. They would put the juice into the goat skin and then they would seal it shut. And then they would let it sit over a while. What what does grape juice do when it's not refrigerated? It ferments. It ferments. The alcohol starts eating the yeast in there, and it starts uh, fermenting and making it alcoholic. And that process expands. If you've ever seen brewing stuff, like, like they make these little fancy stoppers on your plastic five-gallon buckets, and, and it just for like a, like a couple weeks, it just bubbles because it's releasing that pressure. And, and what happens, though, is if you would do that in a goat skin, what would the goat skin do? It would expand. It would stretch. And that goat skin, once it's stretched out, it can't stretch anymore. And so what he's saying is if you, if you would take an old stretched out goat skin and put new grape juice, new wine in there, as it expands, what would it do? It would break. And then it's all wasted. Jesus is saying the old system that the Pharisees were trying to replicate was no longer useful. It was only good to lead up to this point. And now that he's here... They don't need that system anymore. Here's the problem is the old system was all about control. The old system was all about regulation. It was sin management, right? Like, here's how you can make yourself a better person. Here's how you can do this. Here's how you can do that. And there was a lot of legalism and self-performance. And what does it say? If, If the law could save us, then we wouldn't need Jesus. But Jesus came to replace that. He came to fulfill it. And so now there's this freedom because he sets us free from these things. And he's saying, I didn't come to make the old system better of regulation and judgment and everything like that. I came to transform it. The old system is now dead. And Jesus is the new system. His love, his grace, his mercy, his transformation. Now, please don't hear me that Jesus says anything goes. He's not saying that right? He goes to the party with the tax collectors, prostitutes, murderers, sinners, and he doesn't just hang out and say, you guys are good. He says, I love you the way you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way, right? And transformation comes from that. That is the good news, is that we're not stuck in more of the same old system. We are made new. We are a new creation. Now, the rest of the chapter, we won't read it. I encourage you to go back and read it. But the rest of the chapter uh, 9, Jesus goes and he raises a dead girl back to life. He heals a woman who had been menstrually bleeding for 12 years, which is, that's brutal and, and hard and painful. But for her, it was, it was, it was equally as, as shameable because he, she was considered unclean. She was cast off to the side in that, in that culture because of this. And then he heals two more blind guys. And, you know, just to, to frosting on the cake, he casts out another demon out of a guy who had been mute because of the demon for, for who knows how long, right? Like, he, he goes around and he heals person after person from thing after thing. Now, this whole time Jesus was healing people, the Pharisees were going around and following him and judging every move he made. Nothing Jesus was going to do was going to be good enough according to them, right? Right? Like, they were judging, they were, 
they were uh, making fun of him. They accused him of blasphemy, of hanging out with sinners, of sacrilege. Even later on in chapter 9, uh, when he casts out this demon, they said, well, you must be serving Satan himself. I mean, they just went ballistic on this, right? They were just, they went for the jugular. They were trying to regulate, but Jesus was trying to heal, transform, and set free. The new wine of Jesus' ministry was so different from the regulating and judging authority of the old system, and Jesus wanted to bring healing and transformation, not just change in appearance. So here's the big idea from this passage, is that the king's authority heals. Last week, we talked about how the king's authority disrupts. Look at all the disruption in this passage, right? Like, he disrupts, but the cool thing is it's not disruptive because he wants to disrupt. He wants to disrupt to bring healing. That is the heart of Jesus. So three things that this passage shows us about the healing and, and that, that we want to engage with that. Number one, we need to get to Jesus any way we can. It's really simple. We need to get to Jesus any way we can. Whether it be faithful friends opening up our home, opening up our social life, or desperately grasping and just saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. That is radical faith. Nothing kept these people from Jesus. Don't hide, don't avoid, don't excuse, don't deny. Just get to Jesus. Don't repeat the same thing over and over again, wishing for different results. Let Jesus do something different in our lives. Number two, don't be afraid to, to share Jesus with those around us, right? It can be awkward. It can be embarrassing. It was, it was very awkward for me to go to this guy and say, I'm so sorry. I have been a royal jerk to you, and you don't deserve that, and I don't want to do that, and I am so sorry. That was so awkward. I did not want to do that. But yet, I, I knew I had to, one, because of just who Jesus is, and two, I, I didn't want to represent Jesus in a, in a bad way to him, right? Make our life message Jesus and his love and his grace and his transformative power. Let's be the poster children, not that we're perfect, but that we're real. We have real struggles because we're real people, and because we're, we're clay pots, we can allow God to show his power, his mercy, his grace, his love, his transformation through our failures. In our struggles, in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. So look at all the friends and the family and the community around us, right? And, and, and we see that in these stories, and we can look at our own lives the same way. How can we step up and step in? How, are, how can we be like the friends that had radical faith that says, dude, just come with us. Come with us, right? And, and it's great. We can get people to come to church. That's awesome. I'd love to meet with them, things like that. But the ultimate, don't stop until you get to Jesus. Getting people to church is great, but the ultimate goal is to get them to Jesus. And that's what Sunday mornings here are about. That's what everything we do is, is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the one who can meet us in the reality of our lives and bring that transformation, right? We have to be careful about developing a heart that's selfish and critical and condemning and judgmental. We have to maintain 
a soft heart so that when we see brokenness around us, instead of like, oh, gross, oh, I'm so mad, right? We need to develop a heart that is soft and push for healing because we see the need and we see the value in that person. And then number three, last, is identify anything that's competing with or getting in the way of Jesus as the healer in our lives. Our culture is, is full of things, right? Money, possession, jobs, hobbies, interests, uh, social issues, religion, addictions, fear, control, pride. I mean, we can fill in the blank on all the things that, that, that is sold to us that if we can only be, do, wear, act, become this, then we're okay, right? The only thing that should be in that blank is Jesus. If we're relying on anything else to, to make us whole, to make us healed, right? It's always going to disappoint. It's always going to let us down. We need to be careful of things that even look good, but kind of drag us back into this Old Testament system, right? Because a lot of times it's easy for us to functionally, we say it's all about Jesus, but then what it does is it slyly and subtly puts us back into this Old, old Testament legalistic system to where, hey, Jesus is great. He makes the way for us to be able to do what we need to do, right? And we have to be so careful of that. And our culture is full of, of things. It can be people, religions, uh, cultural stuff, whatever it is that try to subtly replace Jesus at the center of everything. Okay, so to move from belief to action, knowing to doing, uh, knowing to doing one thing I want to encourage us to do this week Later on in chapter 9, these two blind guys show up to Jesus, and they cry out. They say, Son of David, but Son of David is, is, a, is a, basically an Old Testament term for Savior, Messiah, Jesus. And they just say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Can we pray that prayer this week? Can we just, we might be, we might know exactly, as, as, as I'm talking, this is God's word it is alive and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, gets, it separates bone from marrow. It goes right into our heart. This might be doing it. The Spirit inspired this and still works through it. And, and maybe this whole morning, you're kind of like, I know exactly what I'm dealing with here. I know exactly what God wants me to, to hear, to think, to experience, right? But maybe we don't. Maybe we're kind of like, okay, I get it, but I don't know yet. Well, regardless, can we pray this prayer this week of Jesus have mercy on us. What that does is it goes to Jesus, and, and like we looked at last week, we fall on our knees and we say, Jesus, heal us, right? Identify something that we need healing, deliverance, freedom, transformation from, and then ask Jesus simply to do what only he can do. Surrender ourselves to him with whatever he re reveals to us, and then trust him that he knows what he's going to do to handle us in the way that we need help with the most. Does that make sense? I, I think as, as we continue to live in humility and openness and just say, I need Jesus day in and day out. I want the transformation that only he can give. We're going to be a changed people and we live out the good news and we can share that with those around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for the fact that um, God, you, you see the brokenness of us, and you're not repelled. You don't run the other way. You don't avoid us. You don't throw stones at us. Instead, God, you bring healing. Because of who you are as our loving creator, God, you created us, you love us, 
God, you pursue us. God, if any of us here this morning feel unloved or unlovable, God, break down those walls. Help us to see the way that you see us. Yeah, we're messed up. Yeah, we have issues. Yeah, we've made mistakes. Yeah, we've done stupid things. But God, you want to eat with us. You want to dine with us. You want to be with us. You want to be in the center of our lives. So God, in this moment, I just pray that you would just reveal to us what things are in that spot. What things are competing for the position that only you can have. God, if there's addiction, have mercy on us. If there's fear, have mercy on us. If there's bitterness or jealousy, greed, pride, have mercy on us. God, if there's unforgiveness, have mercy on us. If there's broken relationships, have mercy on us. God, if there's apathy and numbness and hopelessness, God, have mercy on us. God, you are a loving God. You are not just full of life, God. You are life. God, fill us with your life. No matter what's going on, God, give us the strength to face every moment of every day with joy in our hearts, knowing that whatever it is that we might be facing, God, this is temporary. Fix our eyes on what's eternal. God, help us to see that, that no matter how crazy things are, no matter how hopeless things might seem, God, that eternity in you awaits. This is going to seem like a blink of the eye. God, we yearn for that day. We wait for that day. God, if there's any of us that, that this just sounds crazy to, God, just soften our hearts. Soften our hearts, God. Help us to see how different life could be with you because of your love. Help us to surrender to that. God, help us to find our identity in you, our purpose, our meaning, our value, our worth. So God, this week as we pray that prayer, Jesus, have mercy on us. God, help us to pray that in, in, in earnesty, in, in desperation, but also in faith and hope and just confidence that, God, you, you hear us, you see us, you love us, and you're going to do this. God, help us to be transformed people because of you. We love you and we thank you so much for your love first.